This podcast makes no representations. None of this constitutes advice and your home or property may be repossessed if you do not keep up with repayments on your mortgage. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Mortgage Podcast. Myself, the bearded broker, Lewis Shaw with me as always. Lewis, hello. Hi mate, how are you? You okay? I'm, right. I'm okay. I'm very sleep deprived since we last spoke. Another baby uh, has joined us. But other than that, uh, I'm okay. And if I fall asleep during the podcast, we all know why. And then you don't have to be <laughs> offended. We know it's nothing you've said. You've not bored me to sleep. It's purely through lack of sleep, or at least that's what I want you to believe. Um, yeah, sure. <laughs> so, Lewis, last time out, we were talking about... Um, the right time to sell and selling properties and all sorts of stuff like that. And you threw to me and said, what should we talk about next time? And I, being the brainiac I am, came up with first-time buyer schemes. So that is today's topic of conversation. So let's start with a nice, lovely, vague question, Lewis. Tell us about first-time buyer schemes. <laughs> sure. Okay, mate. Well, first point is, uh, of course, we've not done this for a while, but uh, congratulations on on having your baby. How is it? Just before oh. we get into it, how... Is it is it a bit stressful at the moment or no? Well, thank you very I know, much. I know you're old hand at this, but you know, <laughs> yeah, this is baby number three. Um, so it's nothing new. Um, but they all come with their own unique personalities and challenges and things. But I have to say, and I'm touching wood ferociously here because I'm absolutely not wanting to jinx this, but so far she's been an absolute delight. She's sleeping well, she's feeding well, um, she can poop for England, but other than that. Uh, she's very low maintenance indeed. She's a lovely... Takes after her dad then, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. 100%. <laughs> Takes after her mum in looks, but unfortunately in that area, for, yeah, she for you, yeah, for, for, for Yeah, everything else, bowel habits for you. Yes, you, yeah. yeah well, lots enough. of people in my town have said I'm full of shit. Anyway, let's move on. Um, let's talk very quickly before we get in trouble with Ofcom. First time buyer schemes. Yeah, sure, sure. So, so <clears throat> um, when it comes to getting on the, the property ladder for the first time, um, there, there are various schemes. Of course, there's the straightforward way that everyone knows of, which is you save your own deposit up and then you put that deposit down, you borrow the extra on a, on a mortgage uh, and you buy your home. Now, um, that's the kind of the way to go if, you know, you've got a really, really good high paying job and perhaps, you know, your, your parents or grandparents, you've been fortunate enough to, to be gifted some deposit, which allows you to, not have to spend the years and years it, it can be um, saving up that that deposit, um, which is often we know through kind of all the data that various lenders tell us and but all the kind of different you know right move statistics and one thing and another um, that getting the deposit together is 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 often the what well one of the biggest barriers to to entry for first time buyers. So getting the deposit together is often the, the hardest thing because because of course. Um, you know, if you think that an average house price might be, well, I mean, the, the average house price, according to um, Halifax, were in their Halifax price index, which came out a couple of weeks ago. Um, and I read things like that because I'm a bit of a, a geek. Uh, the average price, according to Halifax, uh, now stands at, across the UK at £270,000. The nationwide house price index, I should say that, the, the two that publish these is, is Nationwide and, and Halifax. They're the two that publish indices such as this because they're uh, two of the biggest lenders. Um, the Nationwide said two, 250, Halifax said 270. But nevertheless, um, and of course, uh, in, in, sorry, in, in our area, um, you know, house prices might not be 
at that point for, for first-time buyers. Nevertheless, um, you're still going to have to save a significant amount of money to get to the 5% mark. So let's assume that it's 250. Let's go with the lower figure. £12,500 is, is a lot of money. And if you're saving you know, £500 a month as a, as a single person, that's going to take you a long time to get to to get to that point, or at least it feels as a long time, because of course, as we all know, when you're younger, time goes slower. Well, I don't know if it goes slower when you're younger, but certainly as you get older, it does speed up. Um, so deposit is definitely a barrier to entry. Now, there are ways to boost your deposit. Um, it used to be that people could use a, a help to buy ISA, uh, which was a savings account that was administered uh, by your bank or specific banks, but then topped up by the government when you came to buy a property. So you can't open a help to buy ISA anymore. That that has been closed. However, people that have them can still obviously use them um, where they get a, a savings top up of, of 25% up to a maximum of, of 3000 when you buy your, your first home. Um, so if you've, you know, so help to buy ISAs, if you've got one and you're still saving into one or you opened one and you've not started saving, you can still, Start saving as long as you as long as you've opened it. Um, now, moving on from the help to buy ISA to help um, get you to that deposit level, um, whatever that might be, is the LISA or lifetime ISA. Now, lifetime ISAs aren't specifically for property ownership, uh, but they are a good way. And again, you get a, a government top up with a lifetime uh, lifetime ISA, so it's a good way of of saving money regularly. Um, in order to, to kind of help buy um, a property. Do you know what I mean? So there are differences between the schemes that, that a lifetime ISA isn't solely for um, a property, but but it's, it's, a, it's a good place to start. So if you've missed the boat and didn't open a help to buy ISA, then you still get the 25% bonus from a lifetime ISA. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and as long as you're under 40, you can put in up to £4,000 in, in the ISA uh, each year. And of course, an ISA is a tax-free savings account, just for anyone that didn't know. Um, so you get a 25% uh, top-up uh, government bonus on that. Uh, there's a maximum of £1,000 that you can earn as a bonus each year. So, you know, if you save £4,000, you could get that topped up to, to £5,000 per year. So still... If, if you're looking at average house prices, that would be at least with the government top-ups, two and a half years. So as we can see, deposits are, uh, are, are the main barrier to entry. Now, that's magnified by uh, high rents. So if people are fortunate enough to live with, with the parents um, and they're not being charged board or they don't have to contribute much to the overall kind of household running costs, that means that they can... Save, but the problem is, is that when you're having to save such a, a a large amount of money, it can sometimes feel a bit overwhelming. In the sense of, okay, well, I've got to save. Let, let's take a an average first time buyer property in my area, in Mansfield or Asheville. It might be something between the region of, let's say, a hundred thousand to one hundred and fifty thousand pounds. You know, um, we'll go with the top. We'll go go with the slightly higher end because prices have risen. So let's say it's one hundred and fifty thousand pounds. So if you if you're trying to save seven and a half thousand pounds, you know if you are renting, let's say that your take home pay is I don't know, 
what would be what would be an average take home pay? Let's say you earn what twenty four thousand pounds a year. That would be a fair a fair pay, wouldn't it? You know, so your take home pay is going to be in the region of sixteen hundred pounds. So let's say then you're renting. That might be costing what probably five fifty is a minimum. Then you've got council tax and all the rest of it. And then you've got food and then you've got drink. And then you've got to have a life and buy clothes and pay for food and fuel and heating and council tax and all that other kind of stuff. Actually, you can see it's very, very difficult if you're renting, if you get stuck in that private rented sector, um, to actually save you money. And, and if you can, you know, if you're thinking, I can only afford to save £100 a month, £150 a month, £200 a month, and I've got to save at least seven and a half thousand pounds plus fees of course there are of course always fees when it comes to buying um you might be thinking to yourself well if it's 100 pounds a month that's 75 months that's over six years you know um and that can be that can seem quite debilitating i think for a lot of people and i understand why so i guess the first thing in terms of what schemes are available for for first-time buyers so at the moment it's certainly open a lifetime ISA, save what the maximum you can in that ISA is uh, month to month and, you know, try not to get disheartened by the amount that you need to save. So <clears throat> I suppose that I'm going to, I'm going to wander off onto a philosophical tack here and I don't, I guess I've got to. We often, these days, we're always thinking about tomorrow, next week, next year. What are your three-year goals, your five-year goals? What's your plan? What's your career going to be? All this kind of stuff. Everything's predicated on projecting yourself into the future. And that often causes anxiety because you don't know what's what's going to happen in the future. We can't, you know, we can't control what happens in the future. We can, we can, we can kind of set our stall out of what, what we'd like to happen uh, in an ideal world. That very rarely comes true. Um, and actually, you know, we, we feel as though um as though if we don't have a plan that kind of we're somehow, I don't know, we're, we're missing out or people are going to think that we don't have a direction or we don't have motivation or kind of this idea of striving and all this kind of stuff. And I think that's actually quite a lot of nonsense. So <clears throat> I'm not going to get into kind of really deep philosophy, but I think when it comes to this kind of stuff, it's generally about staying present in the moment, staying present in the time, setting up your ISA, and as a first-time buyer, you live your life, and at some point in the future, you'll get to a point where you can buy a home. Now, there might be something so that you know you you find something in a drawer and you sell it, and it's worth five grand. It could be that someone passes away and leaves you some inheritance. It might be that you meet a partner that already has a home, and then you move in with them. It could be that actually you decide that when you've saved up your deposit, um, that you decide you're going to go travelling. In Australia because you've got 12 months left to live so don't so I don't so first-time buyers shouldn't it shouldn't be the sole and only focus it will take time that is the norm and to kind of get rid of that anxiety set your thing up set your ISA up set your standing order up then just get on with your life and forget about it and when it happens it happens so that's the first thing because there's, there's this there, there is a big anxiety and you probably know what I mean Josh you see all the time in on social media, certainly on you know the Instagram culture of you know look at my perfect life and oh first home and blah 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 and all this kind of stuff and let's get a selfie with the keys and that's great and it's good that people can celebrate stuff and 
But <clears throat> of course, that then produces anxiety in other people because they feel as though they're failing at life. And I just want to say at the outset, whilst I am a mortgage advisor and it pays me to get people mortgages, that you shouldn't feel anxious if you don't own a home. It's not the be all and end all, you know. As John Maynard Keynes, the famous economist, said, in the long run, we're all dead. So it actually doesn't make that much of a difference. If that's a goal of yours, cool, but it shouldn't be the defining goal. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I mean, from my perspective, because I like to, as you know, in these podcasts, you know, talk about personal um, positions and comparisons. You know, we're very lucky. Um, and I'm only 27. I was 26 when, when I bought my first home. Um, and we're only a few years away from paying it off. But I know a lot of people that are my age that are still living with family and find that incredibly frustrating. Um, I know a lot of people who they are in that rental loop and are struggling to put a deposit together. And I do know, I know uh, the, the sad thing is it seems to be the majority of people my age who've managed at some point to buy a house have ended up not keeping hold of it. I think sometimes for young people, there's a rush to, uh, to, to get that property and it fueled perhaps, as you've mentioned there by social media and people showing, because nobody, you know, well, I say that some people do like to air their dirty laundry, but by and large, people don't put negative things online. They only put out the, the good stuff to make out, oh, look, my life is perfect. Um, and I think people sometimes rush because they think I want to move out as quickly as possible. Renting is the quickest solution to that because they don't have to save a deposit. Um, but then even those who do decide to buy a property will rush to the minimum deposit, which means their mortgage repayment is going to be substantially higher, which means it's harder to sustain long term. And ultimately, it's one step forward and two steps back. That's that's how I tend to see the situation, by and large, for people sort of in, around my age group, sort of you know late twenties. Yeah, I think I, th- I think I think broadly, you're right there. There is there there does feel as though there's a rush. It, it's almost as though there's this rush to kind of grow up quicker, you know, um, and to kind of get your life established as as though as though it really makes any difference there's this whole I mean it's been going on for years hasn't it you know I mean I, I was guilty of it when I was 18 20 um, you know I wanted you know um, branded clothing I wanted to be trending cool and fashionable and all this kind of stuff I mean I failed at it but I wanted to be that um, but you know and you think that's important and 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 um, but that's kind of moved away from that you know uh, People still want to do that, but, you know, it's then become kind of, you know, it's almost as though you've got to fit into these narrow kind of lines of how your life pans out. So you, it's you know, so it's your education is just a huge protracted university entrance um, kind of, you know, proposition. And then you get to university, then you become an economically viable subject in the in, in the in the market economy, and then you save up, and then you buy a property, and then you work at you work a job and make money for someone else, and then you buy a home, and then you have a child, and then you retire, and then you die. And I know you know, and and there's so much on in terms of social media these days where people try and be different and unique, but fundamentally people still follow the, the same tracks. That's not to say that that's bad or right or wrong. I'm not, that's not a judgment. It's just, that's what most people do. Um, 
but and I, and I think, as I say, as part of that, that you know, there is often this idea that you've got to kind of get your life on track. If you're not a homeowner by the time you're you're, you're 25 or 30 or 35, or you know, if this is kind of taboo that if you're not a homeowner by the time you're 40, that you've kind of somehow failed. Well, actually, you know, the vast majority of people who I think are the most interesting, wisest, um, rounded people that I know you know are, are over 40 maybe don't own a home and still don't know what the, what they want to do with their lives but they but they're certainly the most interesting fun creative intelligent rounded lovely people i know and they've got no desire whatsoever to, to buy a home so well, i'm on just that I'm point, like, on that point because you're absolutely right there is a taboo about when you get to a certain age and not owning a home most premier league footballers don't own the properties they live in they rent them. And it's for a different reason. It's because they, with their job, they tend to move around a lot. But also, um, it's often said when you, for example, if you were to win the Euro Millions, sometimes it is advised, actually, don't buy properties, rent them. Because rather than having to put in a huge deposit or buy something outright, you can you accrue more interest per month uh, with that money in your account than it costs you to rent a property. So you can rent it and go up. But also... Um, You've, you know, you you can move around freely and you've got more flexibility with your money. Point I'm making here is there are a lot of very wealthy people in the world that rent properties for a variety of reasons. So the idea that we shun people who have decided to to rent or have no choice to rent when they get into their 30s or 40s seems a little bit daft doesn't it i mean for example as well some people might decide it's a bit like renting a car i know people this is where it gets strange actually if you're renting a property in your 40s people think well he's failed at life if you're renting a car and you've got a brand new car all the time people think you're doing quite well and it's very strange the way way attitudes change well, yeah, but again, it's, it's it's the image thing, isn't it? It's the image. It's keeping up with the Joneses and all the rest of it. I mean, I generally have, have have always had bangers, but then that's on the flip side. That's because I don't like. I'm not a huge fan of credit, you know. So, I I don't have a 25 grand BMW purely because I don't want to take 25,000 pounds out of my savings and spunk it on a car as a wanna. That's just my personal choice. You know, and I don't want to take credit for it. It's each to their own, you know, but it's not for me. Well, exactly. Uh, I mean, some people um, as well, let's not forget, some people will choose to rent properties because either they're not available for purchase or, um, I mean, they might. I, I own my house and that's great. And, and the taboo would suggest that I'm doing really, really well and somebody that's renting isn't. But if somebody's renting a house on Notting Hill in London um, and they're paying two grand a month rent... And they're doing better than I am. Now, there is, if you're stuck in the rented sector, or indeed you want to jump ahead and um, get on the property ladder kind of ASAP, um, then there is a bit of, as I say, there is a bit of a hack. Now, as I say, you shouldn't do this under your own steam because you'll almost certainly get it wrong. However, there is a handful, and when I say a handful, out of the hundred and however many mortgage lenders there are, you know, off the top of my head, I don't, but you call it 140, 150. Um, there are a handful, i.e. two or three, that allow you to borrow for your deposit. 
So here's how this works. You can, in principle, borrow a personal loan from a, a bank, say, Bank A, a personal loan, and you can use that as your deposit with mortgage lender B. Now, please do not try and do it because you will not guess the mortgage lender. Uh, I can't start giving out names uh, because that would, you know, with with things like this, they would not appreciate it. But there is a way of, of sidestepping that deposit issue. So, for example, if you've got a reasonable level of income, um, or it's a joint application, yourself and yourself and a friend or yourself and a partner, and you've got a reasonable level of income between you, but you're struggling to kind of get that deposit together or, you know, you don't want to go into uh, in, into rented, but you could afford a mortgage payment, but you can't get to that level of deposit, then there is the possibility of borrowing on a personal loan the money to be able to use as a deposit. Now, here's a couple of things. Um, it's a very specific couple of mortgage lenders that do this. Um, so before anyone even thinks about going and getting a personal loan and then coming to see me or giving me a call, do not do it in that order. So in circumstances where that is the case, that you want to buy a home, you've not got the deposit, but you are confident that you can afford the payments, then what we do is we look at what you can borrow on a mortgage at 95% loan to value, for example. Um we then look at what those payments might be. Uh, we would then go, okay, uh, let's factor in. Let's have a look at what a personal loan might be for that five percent that you need to borrow. Let's get get let's get a let's get a figure of what that payment might be. Factor that into the mortgage affordability. Does it still fit if you take out this loan? And on that basis, if that's a yes, that all fits. Okay, that's starting to look at, look okay. We then get a decision in principle with that particular mortgage lender that allows this. And we say they're going to have a loan. So, of course, you've not got the loan at this point in time. They're going to have a loan. It's going to be approximately this size of loan with these amount of monthly payments. So then on the decision in principle, that mortgage lender is already factoring it. Even though it's not a new credit report, they are already factoring in that payment when they generate that decision in principle. Once that decision in principle is agreed, we would then say, okay, now um, apply for a personal loan. See if you get accepted. If you do, great. Typically with a personal loan, you can request when those funds are drawn down. Yeah. So it would be a case of let's get it in the right order. And then of course, once you've got the decision in principle with the mortgage lender, you've got your personal loan agreed, then it's a case of, right, now you can go and find a home to buy. Um, and generally, in circumstances such as these, not always, but as generally, um, because most personal loans will be between kind of three and five years, we'd say, okay, we'll take the personal loan on a five-year basis. So that's paid off after five years. We're going to give you a five-year fixed rate with your first mortgage at 95% loan to value, for example. Um, and that way, in five years' time, your personal loan will be repaid. Um, you'll have paid five years' worth of mortgage payments, and therefore you'll have built up equity by way of reducing your mortgage. You'll also have paid off your deposit, and then you can remortgage at that time. Hopefully, um, if house prices continue to rise, you'll have a bit more equity, and then you're home and dry. But it alleviates that kind of five years spent, effectively, maybe having to save because you're in the private renter sector. So you can get a personal loan 
as a deposit, you must not do it on your own. You must not try and guess <laughs> and you must do it in the right order. Otherwise, I promise you, you'll get into trouble. So that is one uh, way of buying a home without having to spend years and years and years saving if, and the caveats are, if one, you've got a great credit uh, score, two, you've got uh, stable uh, stable employment history, and three, you've got decent income that can be able to support both a mortgage and a personal loan. So there are caveats, but it is a way around for some people that don't have you know, you know, a lot of people don't have parents that can gift them thousands or grandparents that can gift them thousands. They don't have um, the option to stay at home, maybe. You know, so that is one way of getting onto the property market uh, where deposit is a barrier and kind of sidestepping that. Does that make sense? It does, but it begs the question, if somebody had the sort of money where they could pay off what is in essence a 100% mortgage because they're loaning the rest and paying it all back, would it not be better or would they not have the ability to simply just set money aside whilst renting for five years uh, and do it the, the more conventional way? And in the long run, perhaps, they could because they could pay off the mortgage if they've got that sort of money available, that sort of income, they could take a much shorter term mortgage and pay it off sooner uh, than if they were to loan the deposit anyway. Now, so yeah, that, that is possible. That is possible. However, Think what we've seen in the last 12 months. We've seen prices rise in the last 12 months by over 10%. So if, if the average house price, you know, was let, let's say a, a typical first time buyer place was £125,000 in the Mansfield or Asheville area, you know, that's gone up by £12,500 in the last 12 months. Now, that's a significant amount of rising, uh, of property price rise that if you don't own a home, you're missing out. So there's an opportunity cost. If you if you want to be a homeowner, then it's better to do it, even though that's kind of contradictory to what I'm saying, is in if you're wanting to do it, then the best time to do it is one, when you're ready, and when you are ready, as soon as possible. Because property does keep going up in price. Yes, occasionally there's a, there's a property crash every... 10 to 12 years or so, it appears. We, we, you know, I don't want to kind of jinx anything, but I, I guess we are due one. Um, although all the signs are that we aren't going to have one. Um, well, at the moment, anyway. But so if, for example, you know, someone was thinking, I'm going to sit and I'm going to rent for five years, that could be potentially five years of 5% growth. Now, 5% over five years, but compounded, actually, all that growth has been missed when they could have, in principle, taken a loan, paid that loan off, given that interest rates are so very, very low, they would be better off owning a home. Because actually, a lot of people's homes in the last 12 months, um, certain, not necessarily in our area, but certainly um, you know, uh, in the southeast, southwest uh, areas of the northwest, properties have made more in terms of you know, wealth accumulation than the people that are living in them because of the property market rising so quickly um, over such a short space of time. So it swings and roundabouts. It really is swings and roundabouts. It depends upon your circumstances. So anyway. One thing on, on that bit. subject, Lewis, I know it's something we've touched on before, but uh, when we talk about the, the best time to buy and sell and property crashes and things like that, ultimately, it, does it only really affect first-time buyers? Because if you were in between properties, so if you you already own your first property or second property, whatever it may be, and you're moving into another property, the property market 
I suppose doesn't take too much of a, of a difference. So you mentioned there about buying as soon as possible because property prices are going up. Well, if you've got a house that you already own that you're selling, then you're benefiting from property prices being increased. But if you're replacing it with another property, which is also increasing value, um, you're not going to get any benefit from that. And likewise, if property prices crash and property suddenly isn't worth as much, whilst you'd be disappointed that your asset isn't worth as much, if you're selling it and buying another property anyway, it's status quo. Yeah, exactly, which is which is why I always say to people, don't worry about whether what interest rates are going to do, don't worry about what the economy is going to do, don't worry about whether there's going to be a property crash, because one, you can't predict it, and two, everyone's in the same boat. You know, there's only a very there's only a very 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 few people that actually make make profit on on a on a on a on a crashing market, and it, and those are the people that either are ready to buy and then wait and then get in right at the bottom, or uh, the ones that have have sold right at the peak, um, and then can benefit by having lots of capital to kind of go around a bit like a, a bit like a vulture, and snap up stuff that's that's on the cheap. But broadly broadly speaking most people that's not most people and the people that are able to do that it's always luck and generally never judgment um but yeah so um anyway on to more home buying schemes so that's what the podcast was about so what are the schemes to get on the property ladder if you've got a five percent deposit so there's the mortgage guarantee scheme which is the first one that's the government backed uh, 95% loan to value I mean, to be fair, mortgage. There's lots and lots of mortgage lenders now that are doing it without any kind of government intervention, anyway. So there's the straightforward. You can get to your five percent, get a ninety-five percent mortgage, and away you go. Um, first things to say about that is a ninety-five percent loan to value. Your credit score has to be absolutely bang on. There are a couple of lenders that offer ninety-five percent loan to value mortgages where you can have some adverse credit. However, um, the the cost of those is often um, prohibitively high. So 95% mortgages, 5% deposit are where you go, but you've got to have absolutely cracking, um, absolutely cracking credit and a stable job history. So that's the first one in terms of a route into home ownership. In terms of schemes that can help people, you've got uh, shared ownership, which is where effectively you buy a proportion of a home and rent the other element, typically through like kind of housing associations, some some developers as well, if it's a large development, have to provide uh, a number of shared ownership properties. So the way that shared ownership works is, let's say that a property is worth £100,000, we'll just use that as a, as a round figure, and it might be that they're selling a 50% share. Um, so it might be that you purchase the 50% share, and then you rent the remaining 50% share from the shared ownership provider. Uh, typically when it comes to mortgages, so you buy your 50% share, which would be 50,000, but then you would need 5% of the 50,000, so effectively 2,500 pounds. So you can get a 95% on the 50% share. Um, so that's a way into home ownership, which often reduces the deposit levels that you need to get to. Now, I should say on shared ownership, there's no option of, of borrowing for the deposit on that. You know that's that's definitely out. So shared ownership is very much um, save your own deposit or gifted from parents. Twenty five percent of whatever share you are owning. Now there's a lot of legalities that kind of go around shared ownership, the rental element that all has to be factored in. 
Um, it's, in my opinion, not the best way of of buying a home. However, um, you know, it's a kind of hybrid between owning and renting because you're still paying rent on the proportion that you don't own. A um, couple of things to look out for are with shared ownership, ideally, you want uh, a scheme where you can definitely what's called staircase uh, and you want a mortgage lender that allows you to staircase, which means allows you to buy additional equity into the property over time so that eventually you can, in principle, own the whole place over time. Now, when it comes to staircasing, I should say, typically you have to have it revalued. There are additional costs. It's not as straightforward, uh, but it is a route and a relatively low deposit route into home ownership and gives you that kind of hybrid between owning and renting. But nevertheless, you're a property owner. Um, so in terms of schemes, we've got uh, the lifetime ISA now or the help to buy ISA if you have one to help you get a top up on your deposit. We've got the potential as a personal loan as a deposit or a gift from parents. We've got shared ownership where you buy a proportion of a property. and Generally, they, they, they tend to be new build, but they're not always. Um, we buy a proportion of the property and rent the remaining share. And lastly, of course, we have the help to buy equity loan, which is where this is specifically on new build sites that are accredited by the government help to buy scheme. So the government help to buy scheme is a effectively a pot of money where you can buy a new build home, put down 5%, borrow up to 20% of the value of the property you're buying um, as equity uh, from the government. That's on, on an interest-free uh, basis for the first five years. And after, uh, in, into, as you go into year six, you begin to pay interest on that, on that equity loan. So effectively, you could put down 5%, you could get the 20% equity loan from the government, and then you get a 75% mortgage. However, with regards to um, equity loans, um, of course, for eligibility, you've got to be over 18. Um, now, there were there was a different help-to-buy scheme. It's been, so there was an old help-to-buy scheme that closed down, and we've now got help-to-buy 21 to 23. Um, so eligibility, uh, 18 or over, you've now, you must be um, a a uh, first-time buyer. Of course, you've got to be able to afford the kind of the fees, but also they want to factor in the interest payments on the equity loan at the outset. Um, you can't get the equity loan if you've ever owned a home or residential land in the UK or abroad or had any form of Sharia mortgage finance. And you can apply solely or jointly as, as, as a couple. Uh, but all applicants have to meet the eligibility criteria. Um, and here's another thing. If you're married in a civil partnership or or living with your partner, cohabiting is the, the term is, and you continue to, to, to live together, then you must make a joint application. So you can't be married and just be, I do it. Do you know what I mean? Also, so it can't be that, oh, I've got a boyfriend and girlfriend and we're currently renting, but it's just going to be me that buys it, but they're going to live here. Then then the, the current help to buy equity loan scheme is going to say, no, it's got to be a joint application. So you can't kind of sidestep certain things. Um, as I say, 
when you buy with a health to buy equity loan, the, the property has to be a new build. It must be a new build. And it has to be sold by a help to buy registered home builder that you can't just pick and choose. They have to be accredited and be registered with help to buy. Also, it has to be the only home you own and, and live in. And of course, it can't have been lived in by anyone else before. And now uh, the new scheme, that is, as I say, 2021 to 23, um, they've kind of set maximum property purchase prices based upon areas because, of course, uh, pre- prior to this, it was you could, you know, borrow however, however much in which, whichever area. But of course, average house prices vary across, across the country. And, you know, even postcode to postcode, as we all know. And so, therefore, they've put maximum property purchase prices in place. So, for example, in the East Midlands, currently the maximum purchase price uh, is two six one nine hundred. Um, in our area, that's the East Midlands. Whereas, of course, in in London, uh, it's six hundred thousand for obvious reasons. That property is much more expensive uh, in in London. Um, so that's how it works. Five um, percent deposit the equity. Now, a couple of things to to mention here. People can sometimes get confused by the equity loan. So it's an equity loan, not a pound loan. And you'll see what I mean by that in a, in a second. So we're going to work on basic maths. Let's say that you buy a new build property with a help to buy accredited builder using a 20% help to buy loan. I should say, I guess, that in London, there is help to buy London, but that's that's different. But So in our area, so you're buying a home, it's £100,000. You've got your 5% deposit, which is £5,000. You then borrow a 20% equity loan, which is interest-free for the first five years. Now, you buy that, uh, you borrow that, sorry, on the property that's £100,000. Now, let's say that in five years' time, you decide, actually, do you know what? We want to, we want to stay here. We really like this property, but we'd like to pay off that equity loan. Well, that equity loan that you borrowed at the time was £20,000 because that's 20% of £100,000. However, property prices rise in value. Often, not always, but often. So in five years' time, it might be that that property bought for £100,000 is then worth £150,000. Not suggesting that's what it would go up by, but we're just using it for the sake of round figures. So you borrowed £20,000 as a 20% equity loan. Now, help to buy provider still has a 20% equity charge over your property. And when you come to repay that, you pay back the equity, not the pound value that you borrowed. So you pay back 20% of the market value at the time that you want to repay the equity loan, not the pound figure. So if it's risen to £150,000, you would pay back £30,000 as the equity loan because that's 20% of 150000 other than the £20,000 that you borrowed. So I'm just going to say, Josh, I know that I'm used to dealing with this kind of stuff, and so it's very, very obvious for me, but for people that aren't, so I don't know if you've heard this before, but have you got any questions, and did that make sense? Uh, no, that did make sense. There's no questions from me. I think you've covered everything pretty, pretty concisely. To be honest, I say concisely. Oh, okay, okay. What's okay. the word I'm looking for? Cool. But yeah, good. All good. 
Cool. So that's the equity loan. Now, there is another scheme that very, very few people know about. And it's a scheme that um, I'm involved in. Um, only a, a select handful of mortgage brokers across the country are involved in. And it's something called Proportunity. So that's a, a hybrid word of property and opportunity. Proportunity. Now, what Proportunity is, is a bit like the help to buy equity loan, except it's a private company. It's a, it's a mortgage lender in and of its own right. Now, this is, a, this is a relatively new scheme. They've been around for quite some years, but it's only kind of rose to prominence in the kind of last 18 months or so. Now, we'll cover off some of the stuff with, with Proportunity. Um, and as I say, I'm, I'm one, uh, I think there's only in, in our area, and when I say, well, when I say my area, in terms of Nottinghamshire, there's probably two or three mortgage brokers that can do this um, because you have to have specific financial conduct authority permissions and have spe- specific kind of regulatory um, allowances to do this, this this type of stuff. Most run when I say run of the mill, I'm not being nasty when I say that, but most mortgage brokers, for example, sat in an estate agency, aren't allowed access to this. Most, well, certainly, you know, most banks that you'd walk into won't have access to this. Um, so it is it's quite a, a niche thing. So it's called Proportunity and it's a private equity loan. So let's, well, how's the best way to explain it? It's basically like the help to buy scheme where you, you put your 5% down. I, I mean, obviously you can put more than 5% down, but you put your deposit down and then you borrow um, the equity loan from Proportunity, which is what's classed as then a second charge. So this is kind of legal terminology. So a, a standard mortgage, when you've got your own deposit and you have a mortgage, is classed as a, as a first charge, so a first legal charge, which means that basically in the event that a, a mortgage lender needs to repossess your property because they're the first charge, they get paid back first and whatever's left goes back to you, i.e. if they have to repossess it, they get their money back when they've sold it. Whatever's left over, they give you back. Um, so a second charge sits below a first charge. So you've got the first charge lender, which is a mortgage normal mortgage lender. You've then got the opportunity loan, which is a second charge. So effectively, in the event that um, a mortgage lender wanted to or needed to or had to repossess your property, it could be that they, you know, they repossess it because they're the first charge. They get paid first, so that money that, that they probably get sold for that repays them the first charge mortgage first. Opportunity, they're the second charge lender, so they get paid second. So whatever money is left over, you know, opportunity gets paid off, but it gets paid. And if there's any left over, then that's what you would get then. If, if it, So that's the kind of technical terms. So the way that opportunity works is this. It basically allows you to, one, boost your deposit, but two, also increases your buying power. Now, it does this because it's an interest-only loan. So the help-to-buy scheme is interest-free for five years. With Proportunity, it's interest only for five years. So the difference is, is that with Proportunity, you buy a place. So again, £100,000, you put your 5% in, you put your, you know, your, you, you borrow potentially £20,000 from, from Proportunity. You then pay interest only for the first five years on the Proportunity loan, typically on a, on a five-year fixed rate. And then after that five years, in the same way that you would with a help to buy scheme, you potentially either sell the property, pay everything off, walk away with your equity, and then go and buy another place. 
on a normal mortgage, or you can remortgage and staircase to repay that um, equity loan. But again, you do it at the market value. So again, with Proportunity, you know, you bought a place for £100,000. It's risen by 50% to £150,000. Let's say you borrowed £20,000 or 20% at the outset. You would, again, repay 20% because that's the equity loan charge that Proportunity have over your home, and therefore you repay the percent uh, percentage of the market value, not the pound figure. Now, here's the thing about Proportunity. It's not only for new builds. It can be on any property at all. So it can be, you know, just a straightforward, you know, you see it advertised on an estate agent's website or on, on Rightmove or Zoopla or on the market or any of the kind of property portals. Um, so it's not solely tied to um, new builds, which is a, a massive, massive plus for a lot of people, but also it allows you to boost uh, effectively your, your purchase price. Now, downsides are, of course, one, you're giving away equity uh, and potential equity uplift, but also you're paying interest for the first five years. Now, so it's not going to be, you know, none of these schemes are suitable for everyone. And, it, you know, it's, that's why obviously you go to people to get advice. Um, now, what I would say with Proportunity, a big upside is they have a very, very fancy algorithm, i.e. some very, very fancy computer code that sits in the background. And it actually allows you as a, as a buyer to find undervalue or good value properties. Because, of course, Proportunity make their money. Of course, they charge you interest on their equity loan, but fundamentally they make their money because property prices rise over time and therefore they're going to get back the percentage that they loaned to you as a percent. And hopefully that's going to be higher. So they've got a fancy algorithm that you can plug a postcode into of a particular property and it will tell you if it's overvalued, good value or undervalue. And so that will then, you know, allows potential buyers to actually find areas that they think, the opportunity thinks, are going to be a good bet for equity increases over time. And it's based upon lots of different factors, you know, things like infrastructure projects. It might be based upon uh, mobility or mortality statistics, crime statistics, housing statistics, you know, how good are the schools in that area? There's a lot of stuff that feeds into this. I don't know exactly what goes into it, uh, but I know it's it's very sophisticated and, and I'm told it works very well. So that's uh, opportunity. And, and that's broadly speaking, the schemes that are apart from the standard of here's my deposit, what can I borrow? And therefore that gives me my, my purchase price. Now I should say actually one thing about opportunity and help to buy the equity loan element of it. It doesn't only work in the other side's favor. So for example, with help to buy and with opportunity, um, if, of course, in five years' time, the home's gone down in value, then you pay back the percentage at the market value. So, you know, uh, it works both ways, but, of course, hopefully it's going to go up. But if it does go down, it's not as though you get penalised. Uh, you know, you wouldn't then, you know, still pay back more. So, you know, um, it is in it is in direct proportion to the market value at the time. So they're the schemes. So we've got straightforward 95% mortgage. We've got potentially um, a personal loan 
for the deposit to get you a 95% mortgage, but you mustn't do it on your own. We've got lifetime ISAs and help to buy ISAs where the government give you a top up on your deposit. We've got shared ownership schemes where you buy a percentage of the value of the property and rent the other um, proportion from the shared ownership provider. We've got the help to buy scheme, which is a government-backed scheme, but that has caps on um, the purchase price, but it's only available on new build and you borrow um, an equity loan. That's a percentage that you have to repay back in the future uh, at the market value. And then you've got Proportunity, which is a very niche uh, and new way of, of buying a home and also pushing your budget that only a select handful of, of mortgage brokers have access to, which allows you to buy any property, not solely um, new builds, but borrow an equity loan to one boost your deposit, boost your um, the, the value of what you can buy at. Uh, but again, downsides are that you are giving away equity and you're paying interest only for certainly a minimum of typically five years. So that pretty much covers off Every scheme that I know of, anyway, at the moment, uh, well, of, of course, unless you're in a council property, of course, there's right to buy. If you're in a council property, then you can claim right to buy, which is where um, the council will give you a discount after three years of being in council accommodation, and you can then buy it at a, at a discount. So they're pretty much the schemes to get you on the property market. Now, I should say the opportunity one is not solely for first-time buyers. Uh, the opportunity one can be used by, by anyone. Um, so I think that's enough of me yapping and I'm pretty certain that covers off all the schemes, hopefully to a reasonable level of, of depth. Of course, I could, I could talk more about them, but I think that covers off the vast majority of, of what people might want to know. Hopefully. I think anyway. So I've got a list of schemes that I was aware of. I did a bit of basic research last night and a few questions and they've all been ticked off as we've gone along. I think we could definitely do another one specifically about the right to buy, which is a bit of a unique one, isn't it? It's, uh, you know, we've talked about buying properties, selling properties, different first time ownership schemes and so on. But right to buy is, is very unique, I think. So I think that's something we could definitely touch on uh, another time. Lewis, thank you for now. What will the next podcast be? Uh, so the next one I'm going to talk about is going to be on life assurance, income protection, critical illness cover, all that kind of stuff, basically protection. We've got this nasty habit. Um, well, not all people, most of my customers end up having protection. We've got this nasty habit of thinking things won't happen, and they do. But it's also a case of, of understanding um, what kind of protection is out there, why it's applicable, and how to go about you know, figuring out if you need it or not. Lewis, thank you very much. Look forward to that one. And thank you again for your time today. Cheers, mate. Take it easy. Speak soon.